Behind every success story, there is a long line of triumphs and defeats that remain hidden from others. These stories get condensed into journeys that minimize the struggle and wrap up with a happy ending. But we know that's not how life works. That's where From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay comes in. On today's show, you'll hear honest conversations about the challenges that Mark's guest faced and how they overcame adversity. Now, here is your host, Mark Azoulay. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Mark Azoulay, and I'm here with, Tel- with Tara Galliano, and we're talking about sensuality and rediscovering your body. Um, she's a certified sex therapist. She's wrote a book by that name. Um, Tara, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Nice to be here with you. Yeah, I'm excited to learn more about this. You know, last week we had Lindsay Hanahan that was a um, movement expert, and she was talking about kind of getting more embodied and having more coordination and, you know, fine control and, and feeling again. Um, and I think this is a great little mini series here to talk with you about sensuality and sexuality and kind of the pleasure end of that spectrum. Um, so yeah. I'm excited to hear about, you know, how you help people. I think women specifically uh, reconnect with that. But before we dive into that, I want to hear a little about your From the Ashes story. Um, what brought you into this work? And did you have a process of rediscovering your own body? Yeah, absolutely. So I like that segue, Mark, because proprioception is really about feeling the experience of the environment or the external references around us. And then interoception is really what I'm focusing on. I'm focusing on on the felt sensations of the body. And that has been my journey um, as a professional. So I'm certified as a sex therapist. I'm a licensed professional counselor. And I began this journey in my 20s. And uh, I went to Naropa, studied mindfulness, and really reinforced this idea of that we're living from the neck up. Um, And that was a profound, wonderful journey. I learned a lot at that educational institution. I had been a longtime meditator, had gone to India, had become a Buddhist, um, had really practiced meditation for a number of years. Even then in my early 20s, I'd probably had been meditating for about 10 years at that point and really felt like there was something more. And when I graduated from Naropa, I decided to set out and open a private practice because I had two children and I needed some flexibility in my schedule and I wanted to be able to be with them and then also be uh, in the world and doing the work that I was meant to do. And the clients that were coming to me were wanting to speak about sex and sexuality and sexual preferences and sexual relationships. And to be honest, in my education at Naropa, I had zero information about human sexuality, which in a graduate program on psychology was kind of shocking at the time. Um, so then I needed to get up to speed to be able to work with the people who were coming to me because I felt like it was really critical um, that they were feeling vulnerable enough and courageous enough to be able to share with me what was going on with them in their intimate relationships. And so I studied and became a certified sexologist. I studied and became a certified sex therapist. And so really went the academic professional route, which was great. I learned a lot. And then I was also married and um, yeah. And so was living that life. And then at some point kind of things fell apart. Really, that's what happened is it's like the professional and the personal 
weren't necessarily in alignment in the way that they needed to be alignment. I, I knew a lot about sex and sexuality, but my own personal life was somewhat crumbling. And my former husband would say that he was a sex addict and I was sex therapist. And so we're just in this same universe, but our worlds were completely different. And I didn't know what I didn't know. And I didn't even see this coming. Um, but as things began to unravel, I really felt the commitment to work on my relationship with my former husband. I took my vows very seriously of being in a marriage and really wanted to see things progress. Things get better was my sense. And I thought I do this as a profession. This should be something that I should be able to work on. And I took a lot of responsibility, took a lot of burden upon myself when really it was never going to work at that point. And I just needed to let it go. Um, so after that door absolutely closed and there was no turning back, I went on to a deeper journey of really understanding what it was that I had been teaching couples and explaining really on a conceptual level and really needed to begin to embody that. I really needed to dive in deeper into myself to understand what is sexuality for myself? What is pleasure for myself? How am I connecting in a deep and meaningful way with myself and with others that in a, in a way that honors sexual connection, um, that honors myself, that honors them? And so I went on a journey. I started studying with Tammy Kent, a holistic uh, pelvic care provider who was working with women in trauma. And then I went on to study tantric education. I became a yoga instructor. I also went on to study um, sacred sexuality in many different areas with uh, Native American-inspired learnings. I also learned, um, I would say, a little bit more about psychedelic sexuality and psychedelic cervical orgasms. And so that's where I'm leaning into today, really being able to provide this in a deep and meaningful way, particularly for women. Um, so it, in at the end of my um, time in Boulder, Colorado, we were talking about that earlier that I'm in California now, I was teaching a class to women who had been diagnosed with cancer. And in their journey, they had really come face to face with their own mortality and that they really wanted to connect with themselves in a deeper, meaningful way and connect with their own sense of sensuality. And that to have that experience of pleasure just for themselves was a huge uh, risk and a huge undertaking because most of them felt like they had depleted all of their resources financially, emotionally, um, and their support systems they felt like were drained. And so to be able to claim sexuality just for themselves felt like a really luxurious endeavor, one that they didn't want to in, uh, engage. And so oftentimes they were willing to go through the process if they had a partner or if there was somebody else that was encouraging them because then they could please them. And then the opportunity was, of course, to let that go and really claim it for themselves so they could step more clearly into being in the sense of pleasure for themselves. Because that's what I truly believe is that when we know that sense of pleasure for ourselves and we can choose to share it with another and that particularly for women who've been in uh, situations that have been life-threatening, contending with a chronic illness or in an abusive relationship or some type of rising from the ashes with some phoenix emerging from that, that they have the opportunity to really have that reclamation for themselves. And that's really essential 
Um, so that's that's kind of the gist of what I do. And I really came to fruition because of my own journey. I wrote the book prior to my divorce, um, but it wasn't published until the pandemic because then I had to dive in deeper and actually rewrite it um, because I had, to, I had to add my own truths in there. Yeah. I mean, it's really important work that you're doing. And I, and I want to hear more about, kind of give you a platform, right? For my mind goes to like women's oppression, right? And and how women are taught to disown sexuality, or I think you mentioned it a little bit of focus on pleasing the other rather than pleasing themselves. Um, before we dive into the you know larger topics, I'm wondering, did any of that, was that true for you growing up? Did you get some of those messages? And if so, what were they? And if so, how did you break free from them? Because I think it is something that really holds a lot of people back from even beginning this work, right? Is all this kind of oppressive and controlling uh, messaging that women unfortunately have to be subject to. Yes. I mean, I, I feel like we all are subject to it in this patriarchal culture in which we love, live. I feel like women and men really struggle with owning their own sexuality in a way that is honoring and, and um, sovereign. I think that oftentimes what happens is that we get messages um, about sexuality that are inferred and not clear and not direct. And so what I find in my practice and my own experience was that pornography, which is entertainment, is then substituted for education. And my sense growing up was that I was raised a good Catholic girl and I loved the sense of religion. I loved the rituals. I love the connection to Mother Mary and Jesus, and I felt there was some profound truth there. And then when I hit puberty and I started speaking to the priests about my thoughts about sexuality and why, um, what about abortion, that I was immediately shut down and condemned and that my questioning was seen as indictment that I actually had engaged in any of these behaviors, but I really just had a curiosity. I wanted to talk about it first and have a better understanding. Um, but the shutdown was so severe that I had to leave the Catholic church at a young age and really wanted to um, cultivate my own sense of questioning because I wanted to be able to understand. I have a tremendous curiosity about things and I want to be able to understand on a deep, personal, profound level and not just understand things because people are telling me that. And so I do feel like there's a colonization of women's bodies that happens in this culture where we're not given the opportunity to understand our own power, our own magic, our own mystery, our own creative life force. And I see that with the medicalization of birth onto our own sense of sexuality. And that for me, one of the most profound experiences that I had was actually giving birth to my daughter and subsequently my son, but particularly my daughter, which was my first pregnancy and I am adopted. So my mother had actually never been pregnant nor had she given birth. And so I didn't have that connection in my lineage, at least directly to my mother. And yet I felt it internally. And I had such a deep sense of knowing that when I went to interview midwives, they suggested actually that I go for counseling instead of engage with them because I had way too many questions or way too many ideas about how things should be. Um, and so I wasn't allowed to have a hospital birth per se, that I couldn't be in alignment or congruent with a provider. Uh, so I went with a midwife who was a lay midwife in the Pennsylvania area working with Amish women. And I had a tremendous experience because she allowed me to trust my own wisdom. And I was quite young. I was only 22, but I knew and I had a dream that my daughter would be born May 23rd at 3.48 a.m. And I, I knew this to be true. And I invited the people who I wanted to be there at the birth to be there. 
And my body, my daughter was born at 3.42 a.m. And when I had told people that she would be born at that time, a lot of them dismissed it saying, oh, this is your first birth. And I was like, it is, but I know this to be true. And it absolutely was true. And I think that there's this wonderful opportunity for women and, and for myself to continually rely upon the wisdom that is innate within us and not dismiss it. And I think oftentimes we learn how to dismiss it and reference other sources of information outside of ourselves. And that happens particularly in the sexual realm where we're in a more of a performative paradigm and we're not looking at our own sense of pleasure. Yeah. That's a magical story. I mean, that's pretty incredible that you were able to kind of, you know, call that in or maybe be in touch with yourself and your body and your daughter so deeply that there was just a knowing there. Um, It makes me think about, you know, women's intuition. You know, I I work with a handful of female clients and again, this is unfortunate, but a lot of them talk to me about how they hear about this women's intuition thing, but they can't seem to access it. Um, and they want to, I mean, they, they feel like kind of what you're saying that there is this like lineage, this maternal lineage and this power or this sixth sense or something like that, right. That they really want to touch. Um, but like you're saying, they're not in touch with their body enough to really feel that. Um, can you talk a little bit about what, maybe what intuition means to you, um, how you got in touch with it? Yeah. I mean, I would say I've, I come from, um, I believe a long line of curanderas. I have a South American lineage. I am of Colombian descent. And I feel like that comes very strongly into my being, into my biological being. So even though there was this overlay of being raised by adoptive parents who identified as white and didn't necessarily have a connection to their culture, I felt it in the fiber of my being from the beginning. And that everything that I learned in terms of going to school and public schools in New York City and living in a Cartesian society where we're really reinforcing this idea that I think, therefore I am, that my thoughts were seen as primary. And and I appreciated that, but I also knew that there was inherent wisdom in my body that I could feel into and that my own story in terms of my relationship with my mother was that she had experienced trauma and that there was a huge disconnect for her with her body. And so I wasn't actually able to template that from her experience, but I felt like I needed to learn that. And so I just began to really trust myself. And I could really feel that connection to the ritualistic aspects of the Catholic church and could also feel that within myself. And then I noticed that things began to emerge. Like I knew I really wanted to go to India at a young age. And I I set it up that I actually activated that to make that happen. Because I do believe that we're powerful creators of our reality and that the opportunity is to begin to trust. And that is a really scary process in this world where we're learn, where we're taught to think and control and dominate. And we're not told or taught how to surrender and trust. And it is in that process of relaxing into the mystery that we can actually begin to access our intuition and the felt sensations in our body. And the felt sensations in our body are really often difficult for us to feel because we are dismissing them and we're then coming back to the head for the next thought. Yeah, right. It's this kind of like feedback loop and this constant dismissal of the somatic sense. You know, um, I really like what you said about feeling you wanted something, right? And then the part that I want to highlight, because this is at least part of my story in recovery, was delivering on that promise, right? Of like having 
this idea, I want to go to India, but then also executing and making that happen. Because I think for me, and I'd be curious if it's true for you, it actually builds that relationship with the internal sense because the internal sense can be like, oh, I can trust this human. I can trust this brain that like it cares about me and it listens to me and it can make my dreams come true or, or whatever it is, right? But like, I think it's, it's this two-way relationship of trying to um, not just feel it, but also act on it and um, honor the impulses, right? Or, or impulse, maybe the wrong word, uh, intuition, right? Honor the intuition. Would Absolutely, you say, yeah. 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 That? yeah, that there needs there needs to be an activation. So it's an impulse, it's a felt sense, it's an interception, it's honoring that. And it's the activation, not just thinking about it or ruminating about it, but actually executing it. Yeah, right. Like teaching it like, I, I got your back, you know, um, we're going to make this happen. Um, so we're going to move to our first commercial break. This is a great segment so far. And when we come back, I think we can talk more about sensuality and then move up to sexuality um, and talk about how... Um, women and it sounds like also men can start to access some of that and just live more embodied lives right like you said not living in this like cartesian world of just a brain controlling a robot <laughs> there's, there's definitely a lot more there so if you're listening and this interests you uh, hang on in there and we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C, dash, azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y, dot, teachable, dot com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. I'm here with uh, Tara Galliano, and we're talking about sex and sensuality. Um, and I think it's important to start with the sensual piece. We were talking a little bit over the break about how sex can just be kind of rote or very just um, 
underwhelming for people, right? If they're not in touch with their sense um, and not in touch with their sensual pleasures. So to kind of cue you up, right? A little bit of my story is in my recovery, I almost went to Naropa, did the mindfulness thing, did the Buddhist thing. And one of my goals in therapy was to be able to enjoy a sunset, right? Because when I was sitting and watch the sunset, I would, I just wouldn't feel anything, right? I wouldn't care about the colors. I would be distracted. I would feel like it's a waste of time. I would just want to get on to the next thing. And my goal was like, I really want to be able to feel this, right? Um, and I was living in the Western world of only very, very intense sensual pleasures worked for me. You know, for me, it was drugs and alcohol. Um, it was also like, you know, heavily fatty food or like raves. I mean, anything that was just like sensory overload, video games, right? Stuff that was like full total immersion sensory overload. I could feel that right? But I couldn't feel a sunset. I couldn't feel the breeze on my skin. I couldn't feel, you know, I couldn't appreciate a hike when I was out in nature, right? It, it was only stuff that was turned up to 11. Um, and I imagine many people are, are in that, even if they may or may not even know that they're in that, right? Uh, so I wonder, one, if that relates to your story, and two, how would you help somebody kind of deepen their sensuality so that they can pick up some of that more subtle beauty that's out there in the world? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Mark. And what I find is that it's truer today than it ever has been before. And I can certainly relate to that. I grew up in New York City and I grew up in Brooklyn and I just felt like it was an overload to my nervous system. And I just, um, I, I felt like I endured. I felt like I lived there for the first 18 years of my life. And then it was time for me to leave. And I went to Yellow Springs, Ohio to go to a small liberal arts college. And it was exactly what my nervous system needed to reset. And I think that what I see now, particularly in young people, is that there is, well, goodness, there's a lack of comprehensive sexual education for most people, and particularly our young people. And then what filters through is pornography. Again, neither that pornography is good nor bad, but it is informing people in a way that there's nothing else to compare it to. So there's nothing else. And then we forget, or we don't know then about the experiences of our senses and sensuality and sensual pleasure and really stepping back to slow things down and heterosexual sex, penile vaginal intercourse is seven to nine minutes on average for most people. At least that's what I said for the first couple of decades. And now I was updated. Somebody told me recently it was five to seven minutes. So it's gotten even, it's truncated now. It got shorter. <laughs> it's shorter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the opportunity is to really drop into being in our sensual selves so we can connect with others. And what I find is that there's a lot of discomfort in that because we want to feel what is next. We want to feel this excitement, this exuberance, this overload, and to dive in and feel the nuances, the um, the smaller sensations that actually can be just as beautiful. It, we don't often give ourselves that opportunity, so we don't develop access. I mean, and that that is probably why psychedelic um, therapy is being so, I guess, glorified now, because people then can shut off that part of their brain and experience the senses in a different way. Yeah. Say more about that. Cause that's such a big topic right now. Right. And I, you know, as a, you know, past psychedelic user, I, I get that, right. Like it turns it off and it, you know, the way that I always thought about it is I use a lot of LSD is that it makes everything feel novel, right. It's like seeing everything for the first time and not having that kind of chunking 
function, right? Not being like, oh yeah, that's a tree, whatever, moving on, but being like, oh my God, do you see this thing? This thing's crazy, right? Like I can see, you know, the light and the, all the different colors and how it moves, like it moves. I didn't know trees move, right? I mean, it's just like really experiencing things almost as like the first time. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's such a gift um, in the fast paced, overwhelming society in which we live, that it is a gift to dive into the psychedelics. Do I believe it's the pathway? Well, maybe not for me, um, but I do believe that it's an important opportunity for an opening for people to begin to see things differently. Uh, I don't necessarily believe it's sustainable. And it's also accessing um, our own, for example, our own endogenous DMT. It's like we have that within our own system uh, and that there are spaces that we, when we have this sense of coherence within ourselves, that we can actually access that. And sex is one of those experiences that can, when we truly surrender to it and aren't in this activating willful way of reaching for it, kind of like this pummeling sex that people might have that, and not that there's anything wrong with that either, but the choice is really critical. Can you choose to have that? And then can you choose to have something different that is maybe slower or more present, or more sensual, Um, but the opportunity for psychedelic sex and psychedelic orgasms is not not necessarily taking the psychedelic, but allowing the psychedelic system within yourself to be activated. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's, I haven't heard of that, that combination. So like, that's like a really emerging field. Yes. And I'm studying it and in the midst of it. And it's so exciting because particularly in a female body, we have a cervix and the, which is the neck of the uterus. And so the cervix is connected to the vagus nerve, which runs up the front of our body. And that nerve is an afferent nerve at 80% and that it actually allows us to begin to surrender into the sexual experience in a way that cr- can access an altered state of consciousness. So there is DMT in the body or endogenous DMT, which is seen as the God molecule, uh, which people often or can ingest and have that experience of oneness with the universe. And it's also in us. So, you know, so as above, so below, it's like it, we embody that. And through the experience of being in a female body, we can access that through our cervix and that, I think we just don't know that. And there's so much information, so many studies now that are being um, produced to allow us to understand this in a way that we can access it not only through our minds and it's validated through science, but we can have that experience in our bodies. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fascinating, right? And I come back to like the female oppression thing. I imagine the female orgasm just really hasn't been studied or understood or really talked about in any real way. You know, I mean, I can say from being on the other side of the, you know, gender gap there, like as a man, um, witnessing the female orgasm, right? Like some women are on a, like, like kind of what you think, a whole different level, right? I mean, it's a whole different level beyond what I imagine I can experience as a man. You know, I know that there are some techniques, multi-orgasmic and prostate, et cetera, et cetera, but it does seem like the the female orgasm is a unique and pretty powerful gateway um, to something else, right? That I think as men, we really can't, can't quite words to you know yes i mean yes it's a gateway to something else and actually this endogenous dmt is released at birth and it's also released at death so that we have the access through 
sexual bliss is also how we can activate it in our daily life, in our in our lifetime. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's fascinating. I'm I'm just at the kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of understanding this myself. Um, but now what I know is the things that I study, I actually need to practice in order to understand it in a much deeper way. And it's been, uh, yeah, it's been a wonderful journey. <laughs> yeah, I have to imagine, right? Like, like, tapping into some like real ancient feminine wisdom too, right? I imagine some cultures must have figured this out or had practices or ritual around it. Um, yes. Uh-huh, yes. I mean, I do think that there's historical precedence and yeah. that the Egyptians knew about this. I would say that I, I'm studying the heroes Gamos with Mary Magdalene and Jesus Christ and about their relationship and what it was that they were actually, um, I would say, I would say promoting in the world or teaching in the world. Uh, and then also there's Lucian mysteries in Greece where this, I mean, this, uh, this ceremony went on for thousands of years and it was, uh, it was the journey of that experience that actually initiated people into, I believe, sacred sexuality. That's really interesting. Um, in the interest of time, I want to back you up a little bit from sacred sexuality and talk more about maybe mundane sexuality in a way, um, where I imagine is where most people are starting on this journey. Um, and we yeah. talked a little bit over the break, but something I hear from a ton of my clients, um, and I'm sure you hear it too, is you know, the, the couple that um, maybe had lost sex in the beginning when they were dating, sex was very exciting. It was exploratory. It was, you know, passionate and then kind of fizzles out um, when they get long-term relationship, maybe post children. Um, and I wonder for that type of client, what would you say to them? How would you work with them? Uh, there's, and there's so many things to do. And I mean, I, and I think that's a rut that we often get into is that we get stuck in these habitual patterns and it really is patterns of attention and how we're focusing our energy. And so then the opportunity is really to disrupt that. And then how do we do that in a way that is meaningful and helpful? Oftentimes, what I find is because there's such a lack of education for most of us in terms of sex and sexuality. And, and as I said, I came from a Catholic family. I did not get a, a sex positive education. I did not receive a comprehensive sexuality. Uh, and and I just didn't get that information. And a lot of what I did receive was shame and guilt. And I think many of us have that shame then enlarged in our bodies and it needs to actually been, be released. Um, and so part of the process is understanding that we're coming into this experience with somewhat of a deficit. And we don't know all of the things that we possibly could know, that there was never um, an auntie or some somebody who loved us that was leading us forward in a way saying sex is healthy and sex is natural. And we all came from a sexual act. And because there is often silence, what's infused then is again, the shame and the guilt. So I just like to let people know that up front. It's like, this is a tremendous undertaking and, and it's not right. And it is because the cultural norms have been set up that we have, have to actually go past them and it can take some time and energy. And when a couple can say that they've then been in this journey where they get to this place where the sex has been mundane for a while, or they're not even sex sexual with each other, that the opportunity is to disrupt that by coming back to this intentionality. So what do you really want to create? How do you really want to be with each other and step into the mystery? Because something about, and Esther Perel does an excellent job of speaking about this 
the domesticity that we create in terms of rhythm, regularity, routine. We desire that we need that for our homeostasis to be at an optimal level. And yet what, what happened when we were first attracted to our partner is, was this erotic experience and there was something mysterious and risky and, and dangerous about it. And we want both. And actually we need both because without the novelty, the endorphins aren't going to be sparked in our brain. And we're just kind of just go on autopilot and we're going to do the same things over and over again. So the opportunity is really to begin to disrupt that pattern and be intentional and slowing things down can be good. Speeding things up can be good, but the opportunity I'd say is to take some cues or suggestions from somebody that you trust, because if, if we could have changed what was going on, we would have already have changed it, but the opportunity is to learn from something, somebody or something new. Um, I think novelty is really important. Yeah. I hear you're saying, right. And I think like, yeah, disrupting. I mean, when me and my girlfriend have been in sexual dry spells, like often travel or a trip, we'll do it because you can just kind of just shake the system and get out of there, right? Just kind of get out of our, our routine. Um, I think introducing play, introducing sensuality, all the stuff that you're really talking about of, you know, something that one of our um, couples contracts really helped is that, you know, foreplay can happen the day before, right? Or, you know, it, it's always happening in some way, right? It's, I think it's very difficult. Um, I imagine specifically for women to switch into a sexual mode out of nowhere, right? There's often needs to be a lot of connection, a lot of safety, a lot of fun, a lot of play, a lot of like flirting um, before the sexuality can kind of come online. Yeah, I agree. So there's a great book called The Female Brain by Dr. Luann Brizendine. And in that she has a chapter on female sexuality. And she talks about the 24-hour window before uh, intercourse or maybe a sexual connection. And she likes people to remember to engage soothing and smoothing. And so it's really this opportunity to connect with your partner in a sensual way, in a loving way that is not necessarily sexual, but that it begins the invitation. So you're beginning to cultivate that invitation to allow your partner to connect with you because what that's going to do is that's going to begin to shut down the brain because the amygdala is always kind of reaching out and it's stressed and it's worried. And maybe you're thinking about the grocery list when you're having an interaction and you can stop that when there's some, some foreplay or some, when there's some intentionality that we're going to connect in an intimate way and that all of the preceding activities prior to that moment are what build up on into that moment. So it could be as little as, you know, your breath, right? <laughs> is your breath fresh? You know, how are you approaching your partner? So yes, the flirtation, I would say the romance, the seduction are all really important elements to begin to look at. And oftentimes we don't look at those unless we're in the midst of our courtship. And we need to revisit that when we're in a long-term partnership, because oftentimes that part goes dormant and it needs to be reawakened and enlivened. I encourage people to begin to look at, as you were saying, to be playful. How do you, how do you embody that? To be um, imaginative and to be curious. But those are really great characteristics to live into instead of just kind of being on autopilot when it comes to sex and sexuality. Yeah, those are really great suggestions, you know, and it makes me think it, it really counters like the pornography narrative right? Where, you know, oftentimes either, you know, the user just jumps right to the sex scene, right? Doesn't even, because the stories are not great, right? Um, or the story is something like, I don't know, like stuck in a laundry machine, right? Or like, just like some random incident immediately results in sex, right? It doesn't show 
courtship, doesn't show safety, doesn't show any type of like building up to the moment. It's just like, boom, here we are, right? Let's get to the sex right away. Yeah, which is kind of ridiculous. Yeah. And that for women, oftentimes the desire doesn't even emerge until after she's been aroused. And so there needs to be some physical connection or level of intimacy before she can actually get to desire, which is different than men. Oftentimes their linear progression is more like desire, arousal, and then ejaculation. Mm -hmm. Women don't live in that all the time. They can, they can step into that. Sure. As can men, but the opportunity is to choose to do something different, to get a different result. Yeah. I think that, I think that's really true. You know, the the way that, again, one of our couples counselor helped is that, you know, men are often like a light switch, right? We're on or we're off and women are more like a dimmer switch. It takes a lot more. There's like a buildup. It can go up and down. Like it's just way less linear um, to look at and takes a lot more care um, and attention uh, for them to even feel sexual, which again, as, as a man, I think it's difficult. It's, it's like, it's not, it's a, it's like a cognitive jump, right? Like it's not because we don't feel that, but we have to try to understand that if we ever want to have sex with our wives again, you know? True thing. So, yes. so, so there's a good, there's a good reason to want to understand that. Yes. It's a high incentive. Yeah. High incentive. Um, all right. Well, we have to move to our final commercial break here. Um, if you're enjoying the show, uh, please like it on social media, share it with someone who you think could really benefit. Just kind of get the word out. I think it's a really great conversation. And I imagine there are a lot of people and, and women out there that need to hear some of this, need to get both like your expertise and I think your playfulness that you bring to this of uh, being like, look, this is the maybe the most serious thing in your life. And it's not, right? And it can be fun. It can be playful. It can be, you know, um, an exploratory thing. Um, so yeah, if you're listening, uh, we'll see you on the other side of the commercial break. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. In Mark's work with high performers and business owners, it is becoming increasingly clear to him that their biggest obstacle to success is themselves. They are experts in their field, but are dragged down by their anxiety, poor time management, inability to focus, or self-sabotage. His role is to help you overcome these emotional and organizational issues so that you can truly excel in your business and your personal life. One of the most common hurdles that he sees is perfectionism, a crippling anxiety around performance. It's a fear of not being good enough, being publicly embarrassed, or of disappointing others. These fears paralyze brilliant people and bring them to their knees. This course will help you to break free from this mental prison and have more agency in your world. In this online course, we will break down the prison of perfectionism so that you can break out of it. For more information and to sign up, visit mark-azulay.teachable.com. That's mark, M-A-R-C-Azulay, A-Z-O-U-L-A-Y.teachable.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You 
You are listening to From the Ashes with Mark Azoulay. To reach the show today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to podcast at mark-azoulay.com. Now, back to From the Ashes. Welcome back to the show. In this final segment, we talk directly to you, the listener, about these topics that we're talking about sensuality, sexuality, and how to tie it all together with spirituality, quite frankly. Um, but, but let's start, Tara, with the sensual piece, right? Like, how, I'm kind of laughing at that as a question, but how would someone know if they were numb or they were cut off, right? If they didn't, if they, how would they know if they needed to work in this particular area? Yeah. I mean, I, I would say that oftentimes, um, if that is their experience, then that's fine, right? Because oftentimes that can be their experience and they're okay with that. But if women are wanting a different experience, maybe they want to connect to themselves in a more sensual way, or they want to connect to another person in a more sensual way, then I would say then they're seeking assistance. So if that's the way they're experience, experiencing the world or themselves initially, that that's okay. And oftentimes when women are waking up to this awareness that they actually want to have more sensual connection to themselves, they identify with this experience of numbness. And that I would say that by and large, that has been a primary experience to the women that I've worked with specifically who've had a cancer diagnosis, that there is no sensation. And they'll say that I feel nothing. And what they're actually experiencing is a numbness and numbness is sensation. Yeah. Yeah. This is something that I noticed in Actually, my, my journey with yoga, I'm curious if you saw with your with your clients as well, is underneath the numbness, at least for me, was pain to begin with. You know, I think I, I came into, you know, doing yoga practice or exercise being like, I want to feel strong and flexible and I want to like, you know, feel good in my body, right? I didn't know what good meant, but I knew I wanted to feel better. But what I hit was like pain, trauma, fear, anger, sadness. Like I hit a lot of the negative stuff first before I was able to feel anything positive. Um, do you find that that's true for the people that you work with? Yes, I do. I do. And it, and it feels really hard um, because that is part of the process. Oftentimes we have to go through the pain. We have to go through the fear. We have to go through the lack of control, the letting go. And it's really uncomfortable. I mean, and, and that's why in Buddhism, the first noble truth is suffering, right? That life is suffering um, because we experience pain and that the opportunity is not to attach to that. And then also recognize that underneath that, that there is actually more wholeness, more uh, divinity, I would say, that we are actually um, really, I would say, vital beings and that the opportunity is to tap into that life force and that sexuality actually is a pathway to do that, um, that we can tap into that vitality through orgasm, through sensual pleasure. Um, and that it begins to change our experience of being in the body. But oftentimes that initial experience after the numbness may be one of pain and tension and contraction. Yeah, really, you really said that very poetically. Um, and I, I always like to bring that up. Or I think it's important to bring up because to, for listeners not to get discouraged, right? Like if you start doing this and you're trying to tap into pleasure, but all you get is like grief, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you, right? It means that oftentimes that's blocking the pleasure that you're wanting. So I like to preface that for some people newer to the journey of like, it's probably going to suck at first, you know? True thing. 
<laughs> so we talked a little bit, a little bit of tangent. We talked a little bit over the break about the solo practitioner, and maybe in this case, like the solo woman, right? Um, that wants this, right, and wants to overcome that oppressive message of you need to be with a, a, a partner, or you have to be pleasing a man, or whatever it is. Um, what would you say to that of someone who just wants to get into it themselves? I would say, yay, because ultimately that's actually where we need to be is that we really need to reclaim this experience for ourselves and that we can't do it for anybody else. And because there's such a strong focus on women's development, on serving and giving to others, that it obscures our ability to actually be in reference to ourselves. And so I would say a solo practitioner, what a great time to begin because that's when it's needed most. That's when you can activate things the most. That's when you can understand the most about yourself. Because again, there's not a partner influencing you. So it's a really wonderful place to be. Yeah. So on that note, where should someone start if they want to start living a more sensual life? Uh I would say one of the biggest things that we can do and the easiest, or maybe the, the simplest to access, maybe not always the easiest though, is just slowing down. I would say the opportunity is to be more in the present moment, to slow down enough that we're cultivating more awareness of how we're doing things. Because oftentimes it's the presence of mind, right? So being mindful about how we're doing things, but also it's the presence of our bodies and how we're doing things and the sensual pleasure of what does it feel like? What does it taste like? What does it smell like? What does it look like? What does it sound like? And oftentimes we're just oblivious to those sensations in our being because we're focused more on the mind. And so the opportunity is to really slow down and it doesn't need to be an erogenous experience or genital focused experience. It can just be an experience of being in the body that awakens the senses because we have expressions in our language about coming back to the senses. You got to come back to my senses, right? And what does that mean? That means actually cultivating more awareness of what is happening for you in the present moment. And so that's a great way to begin is to slow down enough. Even I like to remind people to do it in mundane experiences. I'm brushing my teeth. I'm stopped at a red light. And can I come back to my senses? What does it feel like? Yeah, I think that's a great suggestion, right? Slowing down and trying to, the mindfulness piece, right? Return to the breath, return to the sensational world, return to reality. You know, um, something that was helpful for me early when I was trying to figure this out was developing preferences, right? Because I didn't have that, right? I was maybe typical guy or I'm not typical Westerner where I was just like, I don't know, everything's fine. Like, it doesn't matter, whatever, move on, right? Like, it was, I was just like very like East Coast, you know, minute minute by minute. Um, and my therapist was like, you know what? Think about what you actually like. Like, for instance, go to a candle store, like Yankee Candle or something, right? And like, what smells do you actually like? What smells do you not like, right? What food do you actually like? What food do you not like? What colors, what... I don't know, environments, landscapes, what type of music, right? I mean, just really trying to develop a preference um, and in that, you know, feeling it, right? And tasting it, like, okay, I like this aspect, but I don't. Um, For me, and again, I was pretty walled off. um, I like didn't have any of that kind of awareness. I was just kind of moving through life like a bulldozer or something, right? Like not really feeling into or even noticing things like smell you know, or things like taste, like I said, beyond like a very fatty meal or ice cream, or again, stuff that's like 10 out of 10, you know, I didn't notice that like a parsnip and a carrot and a sweet potato all tasted different, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And, and I would say that's true for so many of us, right? Because we're just not aware of the nuances. I mean, and even to come back to the breath, oftentimes that can be a difficult experience because it puts people back in their body and to have an awareness of the breath. It's like, that's really a, a difficult, I would say, experience for a lot of people to discern or determine where is the inhalation landing in their body and where is exhalation beginning. And then what it takes oftentimes, at least initially, is this imagine is the activation of their imagination. And can I trust in that? And is it guiding me to the right place? Because a lot of times when we get past it, everything's fine is, I don't know, as you were saying. And so then how do we trust that actually we do know, and it's really about allowing those signs or those cues to be able to emerge within us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So progressing further, right? How would you say, actually, let me take a step back. You talked a lot about sexual education. I wanted to comment about that. Um, Let's say wave the magic wand, right? And now you're in charge of sexual education for the whole country, right? Like what would an emerging youth, what would you wish that they had learned that they're not getting now, right? Maybe someone that's going through puberty or maybe someone in high school, right? Like what, what do you wish was being taught around sexual uh, education? Goodness. Yeah, I, I, I do feel, I mean, and this is, um, I don't know, maybe antithetical to public school systems, but something about love, right? <laughs> something really profound, Crazy. like lo- yeah. love, love yourself mm-hmm. and love the other in whatever way feels appropriate for that experience. And so much of education is, abstinence only like don't do it and then if you do do it it's focused on prophylactics and don't get pregnant and don't get an std and very little is focused on pleasure and to have that experience of self-love then invites this opportunity to experience more pleasure like oh what would what would it be like to experience pleasure and then how could i share that pleasure with another and really looking at it from that lens of it it is a beautiful experience it is a profound experience it is an orgasmic ecstatic experience and that we can have that and then how then do we cultivate that for ourselves how then do we extend that invitation to another i I would like things framed maybe a little bit more in that way and one of the most beautiful conversations that i had someone share with me was that instead of um their father saying to a daughter saying don't have sex what this father said to his daughter was i wish for you to be with somebody for your first sexual experience that loves you that respects you that honors you and i just thought wow what would it be like if our parents right could have that kind of comfort to endorse that and share that with us in that way and what would it be like if we had aunties and uncles who were also sharing saying that with us and that there was some freedom and naturalness in the conversation around sex. I mean, it, if you're around animals, animals just have sex right there in front of you and like mm-hmm. there's no shame or no guilt. And so maybe something more of that naturalness of this is part of our experience of being humans and being animals. I think that's great, right? I mean, what I'm also hearing is like shame busting, right? It's like finding a way to talk about it, finding a way to bring it into things, right? Finding a way to just, I don't know, embody it. That isn't this hush-hush thing, or it's not relegated to pornography, um, or it's not It's not so, like, I mean, it's like so many things in life, right? It's like losing power 
so that it can gain power, right? Like losing like the power of the secrets so that you can acknowledge how powerful it actually is without all this like weird subterfuge and shame and taboo. Is that kind of what you're saying? Oh my goodness. Yes. Uh, yeah. And that when we relegate the, the sex conversation to the one conversation that a parent is going to have with a child, then that really limits the opportunity. And when we can see it in so many things that we can see it in nature, that flowers are blooming, that bees are pollinating, that when we see it in animals, when we see it in the world around us and we can observe it and name it and give language to it, it's a very powerful process. And then children can begin to understand, again, the natural and the innocence of that. And then we can have that within our own being because it is natural and innocent. I love that. Yeah, it's just life, just life creating life, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, on that note, this is a phenomenal conversation, Tara. I was really happy to have you on the show. Um, I like the place you. that we went to. Where can people find more about you? Ah, thank you, Mark. It, yeah, this has really been a pleasure. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Um, people can find me on my website, rediscoveringmybody.com. And it is rediscoveringmybody.com. I want to emphasize that because it's not about the other. It really is about your experience with yourself. And I have a book of the same title, rediscoveringmybody.com, or Rediscovering My Body on Amazon. That's fantastic. Well, thanks so much for joining. Um, If you're a listener, hang on in there, and we'll see you next week, another episode of From the Ashes. Thank you for joining host Mark Azoulay on From the Ashes. Be sure to tune in again live next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Meet triumph and defeat and treat those two imposters the same.